This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. When I think of apologetics, typically I think of defending my worldview, my belief in God as a creator, right? Uh, in the beginning, that type of thing. But again, apologetics is just the ability to uh, explain your belief. Okay? So what we're going to talk about is specifically the gospel. And this came up for a few different reasons, but the gospel... The Bible says that the gospel is the power of God unto what? One word. Say it. Salvation. Salvation. Okay? The power of God, and I'm going to try to use this, and I don't know if you'll be able to read my writing or not, but I may should get someone up here to write for me. But So, the power of God unto salvation, right? So remember that. That's why the that's why the gospel is so important. It is the power of God that brings us to salvation, right? So can there be any more important topic? It'd be hard, right? It'd be hard to find one. The power of God that brings us unto salvation. So this is a note taking night. I see a lot of you have your notebooks. Any information that I give, I can I can send you. You know, information where I've got some of mine or I've collected my own, so I can give that to you, but it'd be a good note taking that. So, from those of you who are uh, at my house and we sit around the picnic table, what, what did we talk about that day? Talk about what the gospel was. Okay, stop right there. The gospel. So, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. What is the gospel? According, now tonight, we're going to be framing everything in terms of dealing with a non-believer. Or maybe a believer who doesn't believe in the gospel. Right? So we're framing everything in that mindset. For instance, if, Clint, if, I, if Clint's a friend of mine, it doesn't, he maybe goes to church, but he's never obeyed the gospel. Right? We're looking at it, framing it in, from that viewpoint. Okay? where I have to be able to explain to him biblically my answers. Does that make sense? Because the power comes from the Word and not from us. We have to have the confidence to articulate, the confidence to be able to find the Scripture, to be able to tell somebody that the power ultimately comes from God's Word, right? So, what is the Gospel? Uh, anybody? Real brief. Death, Burial and resurrection. Okay, so on, I have three verses. I want uh, someone over here to pick the first one, someone over there to pick the second one, and then someone else uh, somewhere to pick the third one. So we got one on the first. We got, who's on the second? Okay, who's on the third verse? Jason? Okay. So this is what I'm saying by one, two, and three. This is what we, so we're going to go over a brief overview of what we talked about at my house, right? Again, this. This, tonight's about teaching. It's about having a class on the gospel. That's what it's about. So it's, it's going to take some, some mental focus, paying attention. So, the gospel. 
We have to be able to define the gospel. Go ahead, Joe. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which, is also, which also you receive, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved. If Hold on, right there. So, again, he's, Paul is saying, I am presenting to you the gospel, that which I also received. Wherein all these things, right? He says, wherein you are saved, right? We, in Romans, it talks about the power of God unto salvation. We see over and over again that the gospel is linked to being saved or salvation. That is vitally important. That is vitally important. Because that, that having that knowledge is what drives us to want to go preach the gospel. Right? Aside from just having knowledge of what it is, that is the motivation behind our desire to go preach. Does that make sense? Right? If we believe that it's unto salvation, if we believe that it's how a person becomes saved, you know, then that ought to motivate us, right? Go ahead, Joe. Sorry to interrupt you. And I may do that. I may interrupt you at times while you're reading. Go ahead. If you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Okay. Yeah, that's good. So, death. Death, burial, and the resurrection. Okay? Death, burial, and resurrection. That's, that's key. Because that is, the, that is the definition. So I point that out because if you go out and you talk to anybody or even among the church members, you might say, what's the gospel? Well, the gospel is how Jesus saved us. The gospel is God's forgiveness. The gospel is mercy and grace and truth, right? There's a lot of, of what we might call the gospel, right? And which are all true, none are wrong, but... We want to be very specific about what the Bible teaches the gospel is, death, burial, and resurrection. Okay? Although it, the, the, the gospel is all those things, it's grace and mercy and truth, it's forgiveness, but knowing exactly how to define it according to the Bible is, is really important. Okay? We have to start there. Okay? So, next we're going to go to, well, what does that what does the death, burial, and resurrection mean to us? How does it affect us? So, I'm going to pose this question. And if the, if the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, and the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection, which who, who died, was buried, and resurrected? Jesus, right? So does that mean that everybody has salvation? Okay, stop and think about that for a second. Very plainly, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Jesus has died, he's been buried, and he resurrected, so therefore all mankind is saved, right? There's some, there is some logic to that, right? You could see how somebody might say, well, everybody's saved. Well, we know that's not true. It says that, that narrow is the gate, and there are few, few there be that find it, that, that travel that path. We know that Christ will come again someday, taking vengeance on, and that's what we'll get into in a second. So my point is, real briefly, that yes, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection, but how does it impact us? 
what do we have to do? What's our responsibility? Okay? Having that knowledge of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus has to do something to us and for us. So, uh, who had 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 7 and 9? And to you who are in trouble, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall become shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with every everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Okay. So we see that. Jesus will come back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel. Okay? So this is very plain, but it's important to know as we teach it, we have to let people know that there's an, there is a response on their part. Okay? They must obey the gospel. Okay? That's why the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, because it takes our commitment to it, our belief in it, our obedience to it. That, very simply put, I know that sounds simple, and maybe you think, well, that, right, duh, but there's a lot of people out there in the world who would argue that point. There's a lot of people who would, who would cause a ruckus over that. Okay? The simple fact that God expects an obedience to the gospel. I think it's in Romans. He also, Paul talks about, uh, I think it's in Romans chapter 8. We may get into that in a minute. How it says that you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. And that form of doctrine that he's talking about, he just explained in Romans 6, 7, and 8. So, obedience to this form of doctrine. The doctrine is the gospel. And at any point, dads, step in. Moms, insight, things that I'm forgetting. Please, this is, again, I want this to be an open discussion. Sometimes I get going. But interrupt me with any verses, thoughts about how to share the gospel. Right, That's what tonight's about. So, any thoughts at this point? The word gospel. Okay. What is, what is the defi- the, the word gospel definition? Good news. Good news. There you go. And that it is. That's right. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection. Okay. That's why it's good news. It's yeah, good news. It means the good news. And the good news is that he died and buried and rose for us. Yeah. Right, you're talking about a translate you're talking about translation of a word that the actual definition, yes, means good news. But when Paul defined it, it's good news because of what Jesus did. Okay? So it wouldn't be good news if it wasn't for the death, burial, and resurrection. Okay? You can't put one before the other. It's the it's the death, burial, and resurrection, which is good news. So it, it absolutely, yeah, thank you, Jason, for pointing that out. It is good news. But why is it good news? Right? Because of what Jesus did. Thank you. Any other thoughts? Yeah, I mean, if you look up in the dictionary, you might not find that fair resurrection. You probably find good news. Right? Okay, Romans 6, 1 through. We don't want to read all of these, but let's get started. Who had Romans 6 and 1? Jason, go ahead and start us off. And what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, 
that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Okay, that's good. Thank you. What verse did you stop at? Uh, we're, uh, finish seven. Seven, okay. So, here this is Paul again. Uh, and I know we talked about this as a brief overview, but if you don't understand this, then the rest of it's hogwash. So it's really important to get this in. Death, burial, and resurrection is what Paul defines it as in 1 Corinthians 15. Second Thessalonians says that it talks about our necessity to obey it because Jesus comes back in flame and fire. Romans 6 talks about how what it looks like for us, right? How I said, well, remember before I asked, well, okay, the gospel's death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, right? It's unto salvation. But yet, the whole world's not saved through that act, okay? That's where we get into Romans chapter 6, and we say, okay, then what does it look like for me? How can I obey the gospel? And I love, this is one of my favorite things when I get to this with studying with somebody the part where I can tell them about how they can obey the gospel. I, that's my favorite part. Like, Jesus did, he died for you, and all this, and you can go into great detail with him about what he did, and the gruesomeness of it, and how that he did it for them, and then you tell them that they can be planted in his likeness. That's it's an amazing feeling. Amazing it's so simple. Christ doesn't expect us to be crucified on the cross, to resurrect, right? We don't have to obey. We don't have to do that. He simply asks us to be buried with him in baptism. Right? It's so simple. It's like uh, Naaman. who we went to the Jordan and said, you are you kidding me? This filthy Jordan? You want me to dip seven times in this Jordan River when where I come from there's seven clean rivers or multiple clean rivers that I could dip in? It was, it was, and his, his servant, one of his soldiers, said, "Well, if it was, if it was some great task, would you be more thrilled about it? Right? Would it make you more happy? Just do it. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, we'll go kill. <laughs> no, he no, didn't say we'll kill. But if it doesn't work out, it's Elisha. I think he said we'll go take care of him. Anyway, so it, it's so simple that it confounds the wise, as the Bible says. We." got to keep it simple. One thing about preaching the gospel is God designed it for everyone to be able to understand. It doesn't take some intellectual master, obviously, right? It's so simple, it talks about that it confounds, perplexes those who consider themselves wise. It appeals to the humble, to the meek, to the lowly. Isn't that amazing? That's exactly what Jesus did. That's exactly what the gospel does. It appeals to those who are lowly and willing to receive it. So, death, prayer, and resurrection, we must obey it, the Bible says, and then Romans 6 tells us how we should obey it. Um, any thoughts so far? Anything you guys would like to add?
Okay. So that's a brief overview of the gospel. Now I want to talk about my goal, and I mentioned it last time when we sat down and talked, is there's multiple ways to go about teaching the gospel. And I want to eventually go over all of them. But tonight I want to go over looking at it through the lens of conversions. Okay? That's our greatest evidence. One of our greatest evidences is when we look through the New Testament, we see every conversion, and we put, piece them together, and we say, okay, this was there, this was there, this was there. That's that conversion. This conversion over here, this, 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 and this happened. Does that match up with this one? Does this one match up with this one? Right? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. And when you piece them together, it really is hard to... I had a, a really good friend one time who we studied and studied and studied with. We had different views on the gospel. Studied studied, studied, and our studies were great. We were both very uh, kind and compassionate, understanding and loving throughout the whole process. And one day he asked me, because I knew his viewpoint, I knew his perspective, and he said, do you think I'm saved? He was trying to rope me in. And I want to caution you, as you study with people, professed believers, to not get roped into that. Don't get roped in. Number one, with that scenario, is we're not the judge, right? We don't get to make that call. Number two, and more importantly, or more importantly for argument's sake, is how do you come back how do you answer that person, right? Because we want to be fair and we want to be honest. Because in, in, in reality, if he hasn't obeyed the gospel, according to God's word, which is the authority on the matter, right? Not Dane's opinion. But according to God's authority, his word, then my opinion was no, that you're not saved. Right? You see how someone can try to rope what you're saying, I'm not saved. It's, if they bring you to that point, you got to stop. And you got to address it. And this is how I addressed it, and I found it very effective. So tonight I'm going to be talking about some things that have worked for me. I'd like for you all to share things that have worked for you. That's, I'm hoping for that tonight, to really dig into some of this. This was a real big deal for me, because this was a really good friend. He meant a lot to me, and still does. So my, my response to him was, if I believe this gospel that I've shared with him. How can I preach it any differently to you than I would to my parents or my children or any unbeliever out there? Does that make sense? My point to him was, I'm not going to alter the gospel and what I believe God's word says about it, how to be saved, to satisfy him. Does that make sense? I'm not going to alter how I preach the gospel. I'm not going to alter the truth of the gospel to appease anybody. And we have to have that mindset. And I think that intellectually people will appreciate that if they really will sit back and think, wow, you know, I would, I would preach to anybody this same gospel, and I'm not going to change it for you. So now what you do with it, what you do with God's word, remember the Bible talks about us being ambassadors for Christ. We are not responsible for people's souls and their decisions and we are responsible to preach the gospel, but we're not responsible for the answer that they get. Right? We're not responsible for that. So 
So don't get roped in and be really cautious with that in how you approach it. Let your faith and your zeal for the gospel never waver and never let the truth of it waver either. What if they say, well, maybe this is what I ran into. My grandma and grandpa, they didn't believe the gospel. Are they going to hell? <laughs> yeah, I've had that. I've had that. And generally, what that tells me and what you have to realize is that at that point, their desire to obey or not obey is not in the truth of the scripture, but it's in the emotion of life. It's in their emotions, right? And I've seen a lot of people hold back from obeying the gospel simply because of the emotions that come with it. The repercussions of them mentally dealing with the fact that somebody they love did not obey the true gospel. And you've got to deal with that, okay? You've got to deal with that. You've got to deal with it with, what they say, with kid gloves, very carefully. With compassion, always sprinkled with love and truth. Okay, that's really important. We're not trying to bash people over the head with the gospel. We're trying to bring them to salvation in Christ. It takes sympathy, compassion, love, gentleness, and sometimes you deal with some hard stuff, right? But just remember that people's response don't always reflect how good a job you, you know, you opened up God's word and presented to them. Sometimes it's their emotions. Sometimes it's a lifelong process of being taught the wrong thing. Right? So, uh, any other thoughts about that? Any uh, examples or situations or anything you'd like to add to, to that type of thing, guys or gals? I, was, I couldn't help but think about Jesus and the guy that came to him and he said, what must I do to be saved and all these things have I done for my youth up? And Jesus wasn't like, Yeah, yeah. He gave him a hard answer, even though Mark says he felt genuine love for him. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm sure that was hard emotionally. Yeah. To send him away with a rough answer, but it was the truth. It was the truth. Yeah, and I can't stress enough, guys, the importance tonight of not wavering on the truth. Okay, don't waver on the truth of God's word. And I don't stand up here tonight. I don't think I have the market cornered on truth by any means. So, but one thing I love about the church that I uh, went to first in Enid, one thing I've mentioned this before is they they always said the preacher would always say, "Don't just believe it because I said it. Go study it for yourself. Go look it up. Go find it. Challenge me on this. If I'm wrong, tell me." That was the only, and I hadn't been to a whole lot of other churches, but. That was a far cry different from any church that I had been to before. When they said, go find it out for yourself. Search it out for yourself. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Okay? Search out the scriptures. Understand it. That was like, whoa. That, that, I can't just sit here and through osmosis and through, you know, your excellent preaching be, you know, more spiritual. I got to do some work. And it was life changing. I went on a Wednesday night after I'd been asked to go for years. And then eventually I went on Wednesday night and I stopped going since. Praise God. All because someone loved me enough to teach me the gospel with love. Changed my life. So, uh, did you work, were you fixing to say something there? Did I cut somebody off a second ago? Any other thoughts that they want to add to uh, the situation that I explained? Any experiences that you guys have had at, at, at any point? Yeah, I would say just like, like you said, don't waver on the truth. 
but also like speak through love. Because there's more than once that I have said the truth or what I thought was the truth, but I only said it to win an argument. I didn't say it through love. And that only pushes people away. And the point is to bring them closer to God and not win an argument, which I am prone to do. Yeah. That's a good point. I'm right there with you. Some of so here again tips and tricks and in dealing with that we're talking about how to give an answer for the gospel when there's opposition to it. Okay, let me give you a, a really good tip that I learned that changed my mindset on it. When you talk about love, when you're asked a question, let's say that somebody says, "Well, it doesn't even matter." What Say someone comes to you with this question that they're baiting you, they obviously know you believe this, and they're trying to pull you one way. Don't answer the question, answer the person. Okay? Don't answer the question, answer the person. And there's this is not biblical knowledge, this is how to deal with people type knowledge, okay? Which there are many in the audience that are far better at than me, and they can add to it. Uh, I'll share with you my at share with you my thoughts on it briefly because it is important dealing with people. Answer the person, not the question. What does that mean? Anybody? Can anybody tell me what that means? No, I'm waiting. <laughs> You're waiting? Okay. Yeah, I'm waiting. Well, let's see. Let's see. I, I don't know the answer to this cause, but maybe it's the idea of trying to better understand someone's intentions about what they're asking. Not necessarily just intellectually answered. Yeah. That's why exactly. Are you the question? That's right. Why are, why are they the defensive or offensive? Yep. That's exactly right. So they'll throw out a question that's in opposition to the gospel there, in, in, a, in a somewhat aggressive way. You know, like challenge me with a question that you might hear. Any, anybody, <laughs> anybody have one? I know I was putting you on the spot. A guy is on a desert island and he never hears the gospel. Yeah, I, I have an answer for that, but I okay. love to hear yours. So this is Phil. Let's pretend like I don't know him that well. And he's asking me this question just now, right? So number one, diffuse. If there's any hostility, diffuse the situation and find find common ground. So I would say. You know, I would try to say this. Yeah, I'd probably hit him in the face. No, that's not what you want to do. I have had feelings like that in the past, but this is what I would suggest. This is one method. I'd say, I understand exactly where you're coming from. I think that's a great question. Right? It immediately diffuses the situation. We find common ground. He doesn't instantly think I think he's an idiot. Right? And he sees that I have a, a, a personality that's conducive to conversation. Right, real simple. I understand, you know. Matter of fact, Phil, I get asked that question all the time. That's why I can say something like that. That's a real common question that I get. Right, so he's seeing that I understand his question, that I've dealt with it before, and that I have a solid answer for him. And then, so that's very, very basic of getting into it. Does that make sense? So I'm, I'm softening, I'm softening this shell, this wall that's between us, and I'm trying to engage him. Very basic, okay? So what I want to do is try to focus on, and this is true with creation and dealing with creation versus evolution. Uh, in, in any apologetics, that I want to understand the person 
the reason why maybe he's asking it more than the question. Because a lot of times people try to bait you and they're going a certain way, and sometimes you gotta say, stop. You know, hold on a second. Do you believe in God? You know, or do you believe this about God? So don't always so to Joe's point, sometimes we want to win the argument. Okay? And yes, I can answer that question. I can answer that question. But sometimes just answering the question doesn't do a good enough job. I want to answer that person. I want to get to their heart. I want to get to the core of that question. I don't want to win the argument. I want to try to win them to Christ. Or I want to try to right, point them towards God's word and the truth. So love is really important. How we deal with people, how we initially respond without anger, without frustration. Um, Finding common ground is really important to me. Uh, getting down on the same level or whatever the case. Any other thoughts or suggestions about that? All right, we're going to get into then some nuts and bolts here. And again, this is more of a teaching deal tonight. So we're going to look at teaching the gospel through the authority of Scripture, but more specifically through the authority of conversions in the New Testament. Okay, so we're going to talk about how to teach somebody the gospel and why believe we believe that it is the path of salvation. Explaining that this is how everybody in the New Testament was converted. That's a pretty good argument, don't you think? Right? That's pretty solid evidence. If you want to know how the church started, how the very first Christians were converted, that should tell us how we should be converted, right? That hasn't changed. It has not changed. The gospel has not changed. So... Let's look at a few examples and be thinking about examples that I may not mention tonight and we'll throw them in there too. Okay? And if you can think of a, a conversion that don't, you don't think lines up with what we're talking about, let me know. So the first one we're going to start out with is uh, let's go with the Apostle Paul. Okay? Everyone turn to Acts chapter 9. I'm going to try to go through these brief, but this is a powerful, powerful argument for the truth of the gospel. Acts chapter 9 and verse 3. Now remember, Paul was Saul. He persecuted the church. He killed Christians. He was there, likely, when Stephen was stoned. Uh, he was the orchestrator of this great persecution. Uh, he's, Paul also was, or Saul, remember, he defined himself as the Jew among all Jews. He said, I, I, if anybody kept the law, it was me. If anybody understood it, it was me. Uh, and again, he persecuted Christians very heavily. So Acts chapter 9 and verse 3, it says, and, and this is, uh, this is the actual account of it. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined around him about a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? Okay, remember that. Who art thou, Lord? That's important. And, he, and the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you persecute. It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. And he, trim, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Okay? 
that is really important too because that is where we want to get people. When we're teaching the gospel, a non-believer that we're trying to teach the gospel to, or a uh, professing Christian that doesn't know the gospel, this is where we want to get them to, right? What would you have me to do? Just like Jason's example, the, the rich young ruler that went to Jesus, what, what must I do then, you know? Okay, what must I do? He says, I am Jesus, oh wait, this is a, verse six, he said, arise and go to the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do, right? So, he called him Lord already, so he knew he was somebody. He knew that it wasn't just some feller, right, hollering at him. Something was wrong. Something was big time wrong, and he knew it. He called him Lord. He had a, a pretty quick understanding of who was speaking to him. Arise and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now remember, Paul was told what he must do. Okay? We also must tell people what they must do, just like 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 tells the people that we must obey the gospel. There is something they must do. And the men that journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no man. Uh, you can imagine the scene there. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And he was there three days without sight. He couldn't see. He was blind. And neither did he eat or drink for three days. So, he, for three days he fasted and he couldn't see. His life had changed. He, as soon as it happened, he heard the voice, he called it Lord. Do you think that Paul or Saul believed at that point? He believed something, right? He believed in God. He believed in Jesus at that point. And he knew about Jesus because he had persecuted Christians for worshiping him. Okay? Three days he fasted. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision. So God appeared to Ananias in a vision. And he said, Behold, I am here. Ananias responded, The Lord said unto him, Arise and go to the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. Saul was praying. He was fasting. He had called him Lord, and he was praying. Okay? Some might say he was already saved. Right? He was already a believer. But he hasn't been told what to do yet. Uh, and he had seen, uh, let's see, Arise and go to the street, which is called straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayed. And he had seen in a vision a man named Ananias, which is you, coming in and putting his hands on, that he might receive his sight. So, God's working in both of these men's lives to come to make this conversion happen. Then Ananias answered and said, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he had done to the saints at Jerusalem. Basically, and I say, you're crazy. You know, you kind of have a, uh, a Jonah moment. Like, eh, eh, I heard about this guy. He's in trouble, right? He's bad news. I'm out. Well, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But hold on a second. This is the guy that's binding Christians that call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go thy way, for he is, cho he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, 
I love that part. He called him Lord. Ananias said, that Lord is Jesus. Isn't that cool? He didn't just say that Lord. He said, that Lord, Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes that had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. Now, when he had received meat, he was strengthened, and Saul, then was Saul certain days with the disciples. So it wasn't until after he was baptized, arose and was baptized, it said that he received meat, right? He didn't, upon this knowledge of the scales falling off, he didn't go eat, he didn't rejoice. It was upon his baptism. Now, if you turn over to Acts chapter 22, this is Paul giving account. He's retelling his story. He's retelling that Acts is talking about what happened. Paul is going to tell his version of it uh, as he preaches or talks to uh, other Christians. Uh, Acts, turn to Acts chapter 22. Uh, let's see. Oh, man, there's a lot in here. Uh, I'm trying to be brief. I'm aware of that. Paul, so Paul goes on to tell who he is. He's, he's explaining that who he was, uh, making a case for his conversion, you know, telling that he was the one that persecuted people, binding and delivering them uh, prisons, both to men and women. Uh, and it came to pass that I was on my journey, so verse 6 of chapter 22, suddenly there shone a great light around about me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice that said, Saul, Saul, why you persecute me? I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. So Jesus tells him exactly who it is as Paul recounts the story in a little bit more detail. That's why this part is, uh, this section of Acts chapter 22 is so important in the story of Paul. And I answered and said, Who art thou? And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. Uh, and he said, So what do I, let's see, go to Damascus. Says that uh, and one Ananias and about man according to the law in verse 12, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. In the same hour I looked up upon him. And he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee that thou shouldest know his will and see the just one, and shouldest hear the voice of the mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men. Uh, and in verse in verse 16, this is the, the pivotal part that we want to be able to teach people. He says, and now, remember, because Ananias was to go there and tell Paul what he ought to do. Remember? What he should do, what he needs to do. Well, here is exactly what Ananias told Paul he should do. He says, and now that you've received your sight, you believe that this Jesus whom you persecuted is the one who stopped you on the road to Damascus and blinded you. He said, now... This is what you must do. Arise, he said, and now why tarryest thou? Why do you wait? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. Calling on the name of Jesus. Why is this conversion so important? Because Paul wrote two thirds of the New Testament. Right? Paul preaches the gospel. He wrote Romans chapter 6, which he wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 15, right? Which explains what the gospel is. So if Paul's conversion is good enough for him, is it not good enough for anybody? Okay? That's, that's the argument I want to pose to people. And I want to teach the same gospel that Paul was on. I don't want to waver from that. And that's really important for us 
as we have confidence going to preach the gospel, it has to be on the authority of the scriptures. We have to be able to say, this is what happened to Paul. Let me tell you. And I'm not going to teach you any other way. So, in my, my ugly circles up here, we got Paul circle. Paul, what he was told to do is to repent and be baptized. Right? So, his path to get to Jesus was to repent. Why did he need to repent? Anybody tell me why he needed to repent? Why was he? What specifically did he do that made him a sinner? chapter 22 and then Acts chapter 9, what was Paul's egregious sin? Persecuted Christians. Right? So he had a lot to repent for. Is that, is that clear? Does that make sense? So Paul had to repent and he had to be, be, be baptized and then when he, he got here it says that he received the gift of the Holy Spirit and he had his sins washed away. Okay? That put him, and we'll get into this in the future, in Jesus. Okay? That put him in Jesus. Now, let's look at any any thoughts or questions or anything we want to add to the to Paul's conversion process here that I left out. Tyler, three days. Three days. Yep. Hey, that's a good point. Three days. Interesting. Could have been two days, couldn't it? Three days. Good point. Thank you. Okay, um, let's look at the Jews on Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, turn there. We discussed this the other day, this is, uh, this is probably the most compelling, uh, in, when it talks about, the conver- when we, if we want to deal with conversions and talking about converting people based on the authority of conversion, to me this is the most powerful, okay, Acts chapter 2. Peter, again, I'll break it down really quickly for time's sake. Peter had denied Jesus not long ago. Now he stands up in front of thousands of Jews, devout Jews, says from all over, okay? And he's standing up preaching the gospel. Well, it says basically after he had preached the gospel, he talked, related to David, and, and so he related to them. And that goes back to that whole being relatable. He related to the Jews, right? That was important. He related to them. He made them understand that he knew exactly what they were thinking, where they were coming from. So he was able to, to take them from David, their patriarch, to Jesus, who was much better than David. Because David was dead and buried, right? So he makes that appeal. 
It says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, because see, the Jews knew him as Jesus. They didn't know him as Christ. They knew him as the man Jesus. They said, That same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. That's the distinction he made. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? There again, that's the point we want to get them to. What shall we do? Men and brethren, what shall we do? Okay? The problem with the Jews... See, Peter had, had done all that expose there in Acts chapter 2 to teach them to believe that Jesus was the Christ and Lord. That was the victory, right? That was the victory in Acts chapter 2, is that they believed that Jesus wasn't just a man, that he was the Messiah. Does that make sense? That was the victory. He took devout Jews from all over and convinced them that they truly had crucified the Son of Man, the Son of God. That was the victory. Right? So, the Jews on Pentecost, their, their issue stemmed, it was, if Peter had started with, yeah, you Jews need to be baptized, they'd be, whoa, hey, hold on a second. What are you talking about? We're Jews. We're already clean. If he had started with repent, they would say, what for? We, don't you know that we are Jews, right? We are God's chosen people. No. The Jews on Pentecost they had to start with believing. There's an E in there, I think. They had to start with believing. Does that make sense? Why that's so important? There are some people that are at a stage the Jews needed to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Repenting would have been pointless for them. Being baptized would have had zero value for them because they didn't believe in the resurrected Lord. That's the power. Okay, When he convinced them that, that Jesus was more than a man, that's when he won. And then they said, men and brethren, what shall we do with this knowledge? What shall we do with this information? He says, to what? Repent. 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 And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, so that you shall receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The exact same thing was told to Paul in his conversion. Tell me that's a coincidence. Right? Tell me that just happened to be that way. Where we start with people needs to fluctuate based on where they're at. Okay? Let's look at another one. Also in Acts. Acts chapter 16 and verse 25. Any thoughts or additions at this point? <clears throat> Acts 16 and verse 25. 
This one is, this, this really just ties it all together. This to me is really cool. Uh, let's see, how do you spell Philippian here? Let's see. I think the Bible has it as O-R, but I think you spell J there with an E, right? It doesn't, doesn't, huh? It is O-R? Philippian jailer. So he goes here. And we're going to talk about that. So chapter, uh, what, 16, verse, uh, what, 25. All right, let's go there. And at midnight, so we know, remember the story? Midnight, that Paul and Silas are locked in jail. It says they prayed, they sang songs unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword that he might take his own life. Why did he do that anyway? He would have been killed later anyway. That's right. For not defending his post, right? He would have been accused of letting his prisoners go, sentenced to death. So he might as well kill himself uh, right then. Maybe he would have been tortured, I don't know. But uh, supposing that the prisoners had, been, had fled, he assumed that these prisoners had left. And Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Not one prisoner left. Uh, there's so many miraculous things in this story that we can take from it, but we're going to skip over all the really cool stuff and hit on one thing. Then he called for a light, and he sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do? What must I be saved? He wanted his life saved. He knew something had just happened. Okay? He knew something had just happened. What must I do to be saved? And so this is this one you'll deal with a lot of times someone might say, well, you know, look at the conversion of the Philippian jailer. You don't have to be baptized. Okay? <laughs> Unfortunately, we have to defend baptism a lot in the gospel because it's part of it, and it's just the nature of the game. I hate to tell you, but it's the nature of the game. You better get prepared for it because it's part of the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection. Unfortunately, we, have to, we do have to be prepared to deal with that. So they might say, because of what we're fixing to read, right there is the example of the Philippian jailer that doesn't say that he had to be baptized. So therefore... All you have to do is what the Philippian jailer was told to do. So let's break that down. And he, and he says, uh, He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And this is what Paul said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Doesn't mention repent. Doesn't mention baptism. Right? None of that just says that he is to believe. And his sins will be forgiven. Not just him, but his house also. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all of them that were in the house. So, The Philippian jailer needed to know who Jesus was. Okay? 
the Jews at Pentecost, they knew who Jesus was. They just didn't believe that he was the Messiah. The Philippian jailer needed to know who Jesus was so they could teach him about him being the Messiah. So if you preach the gospel to somebody who doesn't know Jesus and you start with baptism, you're going to fail. Okay? If you start with repentance, you're going to fail. You have to start with, and that's the funnest place to start in my opinion, explaining who Jesus is. Imagine Paul having this experience with Silas being able to tell this man who had no idea the love of Jesus, right? That's the best way I can think of. It said, They spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all them that were in his house. And he took him the same hour of the night, the same hour of the night, and baptized, and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his, uh, all those that were with him straightway. Okay? The Philippian jailer was unbelieving. Paul had to take him from the position of unbelief to belief to repentance to baptism which ultimately brought him to Jesus. What we have to learn and be able to do is to understand where a person is at and ultimately get them to hear. Okay? So it doesn't mean that if you started here with Paul it doesn't mean that, that these things were left out. This was just the point the path that he had to take to get to Jesus. Those were the things that had to be taught. So when we look at the different conversions, and you, I have a diagram, a graph that I can show you, you look at all that it was part of every conversion, and it was the same every time. It was the same every time. We can go, uh, I know I've gone over probably, but there are multiple, many conversions. Uh, when we sat down at my house, we talked about Philip and the eunuch, right? Same deal. Not much was expounded upon other than he taught him Jesus. You remember he was reading from Isaiah chapter 53. Philip was told by God to go run up to his, or to his chariot. He runs to the chariot. says, do you know what you're reading? He says, how could I but someone teach me? So he teaches him what Isaiah 53 was, where the sheep is led to the, sh the slaughter, like a, a, a dumb, he's dumb before his shears. He... So he's talking about the prophecy of Jesus coming to be crucified. It says that, you know, here's water, what hinders me from being baptized? He taught him Jesus. So what I want you to get to, get at tonight, get from all this, is that we want to get people to saying, what must I do to be saved? And we want to teach them what was taught in the New Testament. Don't veer from that. Don't stray from that. Don't make it more complicated. Simplify it. You can talk about, I talked about this at my house, your conversion is important because it's you, it's who you are. My conversion was important and I can share that with people and it's important that I do, but I, my conversion is laced into the fabric of the conversion of these men and women, right? Does that make sense? It's, it's, my conversion means nothing if, I, if it doesn't match up to these conversions, okay? So don't veer from these conversions use them as a powerful tool for, to teach people. Acts chapter 2, 38 is when the church first started. 3,000 souls, it says, were saved. 
that was the birth of the church. And it says that, and the message that was taught was Jesus is the one you crucified. Repent and be baptized and wash away your sins. Okay? Receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Teaching the gospel through the aspect of, or through the lens of these conversions, is one of the most powerful tools I've, I've used. It's one of many, but it's one of the most powerful because it, what can refute it? Right? In every conversion, there was belief, there was repentance, there was confession sometimes, there was baptism, there was having their sins washed away, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Every time. Now, is everyone mentioned every time? No. Because again, they're at different places in the journey. So, when someone says, and so, when, when someone argues and says, well, look at the Philippian jailer, all he was told to do, what we can't do is extrapolate one verse and says, okay, this is the path to salvation. And you'll deal with that a lot in the world, right? I think probably most of us would agree we'll, we'll deal with a one verse here and a one verse there. I don't deal with God's word that way. And we sh- you shouldn't either, right? We shouldn't deal with God's word that way. We should be able to, to, to know it. And so when I know the power behind Acts 2.38 is not Acts 2.38. It's Acts chapter 2 where it starts. Right? The whole bad, repent and be baptized is important, but it's not near as important as when they said, men and brethren, what shall we do or, you know, to be saved? What do we need to do? That is where the power is, right? That's what we want to bring people to. So I can't stress it enough how important it is. I get excited. Sorry. I'll slow down. I can't stress enough how important it is to know the situation of each conversion. Okay? So you can explain, this is where that person was at. This is where Paul was at. The backstory is a lot of times is, is compelling or as powerful as the end result, right? If you can explain that Paul was a persecutor of the church, knowing these things, having that knowledge is very powerful. When people see, wow, you know, that person, she doesn't just take one verse and say, bam, there it is. She takes, she, she knows, she just read to me most of what Paul wrote. She didn't just take, you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Know your stuff. Know God's word. And uh, not just one verse here and one verse there. Know it. Uh, be able to teach it. It's powerful that way. That's the way it's meant to be taught. So know the context. A lot of times we deal with people who don't know the context of a verse. And deal with them with love again. But know the context. And if you do, God's word does its, its thing by itself. So... Uh, any thoughts or additions? I'm, I'm, that's pretty much where I wanted to get to tonight with my stuff. But let's, we can. I wanted to get a little bit more in, but we'll stop. I'll stop my part there. So go ahead, Caleb. You, you mentioned the, uh, the day of Pentecost where 3,000 souls were saved. And the point or the thought I'd like to share is that, you know, like you were saying, we're all you know, related. All of us here are. All of ours traces back to that day. Because it was on that day, that was when the church was born, and those people dispersed and taught others yeah. who taught others. And that has over the millennium made it all the way down to us. So I mean, even though it's not written down somewhere that I can go look it up in the 
all the way back the day of Pentecost, yeah. where Peter spoke, you know, that sermon. Here we are today, you know, spiritual children of that uh, read that second creation. Yeah. That's why Acts two two is, and it, really studying the whole the whole chapter to me is really cool. When you get into what what uh, Peter preaches about David, and he he he's just God's word of how it breaks stuff down, it breaks people down. Peter does that in Acts chapter two. It's and it's amazing because he knows his stuff. You know, he knows exactly how to appeal to the Jews. We got to know how to appeal to people that. Consider themselves Christians but haven't obeyed the gospel. We gotta know how to appeal to them. We gotta know how to appeal to a non-believer, someone that doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. We gotta know how to appeal to people that don't believe that God created everything. Right? We gotta know how to appeal to them. Peter, he hit the man, he just hammered it. He with with was he drunk? Yeah, they, no, they had to get to the Holy Spirit. They could speak in tongues, they could everyone could understand in their own native language. Amazing. Of course, you know, it took a miracle like that to for that you know thousands of people to be converted on that day. It's pretty amazing. Can I do a little chart real quick? Yes. It's like four verses. A chart? You want to write it? Is yeah. That, yeah, that. yeah. You want me to erase some of this or yeah, you I'll got erase a little bit of it? Stay up here. You can stay up here. I mean, I'll just take me a second. Will you read a Second Timothy two ten? Here's a, this marker's good here. Okay. Yeah, it's in the turn there. Second Timothy two verse ten. Turn there if you would. I'm gonna read it. You ready for me to read it? Yeah, go ahead. Alright, second Timothy two ten it says, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I wanted Dane to read that verse because he had mentioned something earlier that sometimes when you're presenting the gospel, there may be an argument when it relates to the burial, which is the baptism. And so if you find someone that says, hey, baptism is not essential to salvation, which I think all of us probably here have studied with someone that felt that way. And so a lot of times what I will do is I will read this verse first and draw a circle and just make the point that salvation is in Jesus Christ. Joe leads the song a lot in Christ alone. We all understand this, correct? So let's turn um, down Romans 10 and 10. We read that, Dane? Romans 10 and 10. It says, For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Okay, the word unto means in the direction of. At 6.40, roughly, Derek was heading to the church. But about 6.50, he walked inside the building. 
So when he was heading towards the church, he was not inside the church, right? Inside his building. But when he walked inside the doors, he was in the church. So we know that we have to have, we have to be in Christ to understand and have salvation. So unto is in the direction of. So this verse that he just read says that belief were in the direction of salvation. We're not there. Unto means you're in, you're going the right way. And the word confession, same thing. Uh, you're, you're going the right direction, but you're not into Christ yet. You know, we read in James, it says what? The devils believe, right? Just because we believe does not mean that we are in Christ. Yeah, let me throw in a verse with okay. that. That In Christ is another aspect that I'd like to get into deeper on a night like this. Yeah. But there's a verse in John chapter 12. It says, many people did believe in him. However, so they did believe in him. Okay, Many people, this is him is Jesus. Many people did believe in him. However, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for fear of the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. So we see evidence of people that believed, but did not put forth the action. They didn't have, didn't have a change of life or a change of heart. Sorry, I just wanted to... No, I love it. Perfect, perfect. Second Corinthians 7.10. We read that. Second Corinthians 7, verse 10. It says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So again, repentance leads us to salvation. Doesn't put us into Christ Jesus, but leads us into that direction. All right, one last verse, uh, Galatians 3.27. We read that one. Galatians three twenty seven. Quote it. <laughs> it's it's an important one. Galatians three twenty seven. Let me read it. Yes, go for it. Okay. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. I'm uh, sorry. Galatians three twenty seven. Sorry, I thought you said three seven. Three twenty seven. Yeah. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Thank you. So, all throughout scriptures we're going to see that belief, confession, repentance leads us into the direction of salvation, which is in Jesus Christ. But we can read time and time again that it is the act of baptism at the very end of this that puts us into Jesus Christ. We'll, we'll find many times where it says it puts you into the church, which is the same as Jesus Christ. We can read Romans 6 and 3, which he read earlier, where it says we're baptized into Christ. So it's over and over and over again. So if someone you know, is saying, that, well, baptism is not essential to salvation, which you'll hear a lot. Uh, this is a great uh, little chart that you can kind of put together, and this is really rough, but uh, I just wanted to throw yeah. that out there. I didn't know 
if you were going to get into this later. Well, I would like, yeah. I so figured you probably were. But. The appeal of teaching the gospel through the lens of being in Christ is a whole, is a whole other one. And then that's the tip That's the tip of the spear, I guess. That's the beginning of it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to get into that further because the beauty, the, the salvation, the ultimate goal is in Christ. So when we can teach people, we can show them scripturally the roadway, the path, right, which is taught, which Clint just talked about, and we talked about earlier. We want to be here, and that's where we want to put people in Christ. Okay, you remember when people came and they said, "Well, we we uh, we were baptized in Paul or Paulus." Uh, he said, "No, you don't. You don't be baptized into me." He said, "You get you're baptized into Christ." Okay, that's where we need to be in Christ. So, yeah, we'll dig into that more in the future. I'd like to, I guess, if you guys let me keep doing this or if someone else wants to take the reins, but uh, go ahead, Phil. We, we do need another night for this. Please. I, I love, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so some places where I have gotten this wrong is I was one of those people who told my grandmother at a very, when I was young, that uh, she was not going to heaven in no uncertain terms. And that kind of wrecked yeah. the relationship. So I am encouraging my children to not use that tact with their grandmother that Jesus is the judge. Yeah. Here's what the Bible says, and we want to love up on her until she's in Christ, in the yeah. kingdom. So so that's important. Uh, this, uh, this was so important to the Catholic Church that they said if a person dies without being baptized, they go to hell. Which is how we ended up with a whole bunch of infants being baptized. And if they weren't baptized, people were treated, or the family was told, I'm sorry, your child is now in hell. So when humans get this wrong, when we step outside of what God says about this, it results in a lot of destruction. Yeah, we can't, you know, to your first point, we can't let our passion for the word or our zeal for, sometimes I think, man, I got, you know, I got the truth and you don't, and I can't let that passion, you know, make me overlook the person again and, and just answer the question. I, I constantly have to train myself to have passion, or compassion, and, and not let my passion, uh, let you know, like a 18 wheeler, uh, uh, you know, I'm coming whether you like it or not, you know, and I gotta be really careful about that. So, uh,
see that the Lord is good. And I think all of this comes around to is about submission, surrender to God's will. Yeah. God says, I've created this um, process for you so that by submitting to this, you are in Christ saved. And, you know, just that's it yeah yeah appreciate you saying that uh, I think as as you go out and you deal with people on this subject of baptism and one of their refugiations I guess if I think that's the word is uh, you don't have to do anything to be saved and we'll, we'll talk about that that's a big one I'd like to discuss that at some point my argument initially to think about is everybody Every denomination believes there's some requirement. Almost, I haven't met any yet that don't have a requirement. So, in all fairness, some some require repentance, and I speak in denominational terms, right? Some require repentance. Uh, some require you to have faith. At, at bare minimum, they require you to have faith, right? So, people are so scared. The world, the people we deal with sometimes on this issue are so scared of us being involved in this process at all. And I think that could be further from the truth. We're directly involved with it, right? So, again, let me stress this, that baptism is not the most important, okay? I don't stand up here with the desire to preach on baptism, to be honest with you. I really don't. The only reason I do is because we have to have knowledge of it to deal with the world today. We have to. And because it is part of the gospel process. Paul did not go through all that effort to teach on it if it wasn't important, okay? But I lace all that with, it's not more important than believing. It's not more important than repenting. It's not more important than confessing with our mouth before man that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It's not more important. But unfortunately, it's the one that most people tend to leave out purposely. And we don't think that's right, according to Scripture. So that's why I stand up here tonight, really, is, is because, like I started off with, I can't, I can't preach a different gospel to a different person. I can't change it to accommodate it. And uh, you can look back, you can actually do a lot of research on it, and you can go back and read early church, not like Acts chapter 2 early, but hundreds of years ago, and you can see where this, where baptism was starting to be taken out of the church. You can see uh, church leaders have arguments over it. You can read about this. Now, it's not enjoyable to read about. It's very difficult. It's very boring. It's, but you can see that process. And there are people that, through time, have been main, major players in this process, which I don't want to get into great detail. But, uh, and also, I would add that we can look through the scriptures and that God, every time God did something, almost at, every time there was a requirement on the part of that subject too. I talked about Naaman and washing and dipping seven times in the Jordan River and walked, he rose up the seventh. Could you imagine dipping down one? This is ridiculous. <laughs> Two, I'm going to kill that guy. Three, you know, what is he thinking when he gets that? He's going up, coming up that seventh time if this doesn't work, right? How dumb I just love. And boom, he, he rises up seven times, his electricity's healed. His wisdom could have told him to go wash 
in the rivers where he's from. You know, his wisdom could have said, this is way too simple. But God required that he submit. Okay? God required that he obey him. And he required that of us all. And we want people to know what that requirement is. So, any other thoughts or questions? Janice? I just have one thought of just like praying through the whole process because in every single one of those stories, God was, it was the power of God. And so if we think we are going to win by a, by an argument or by even by saying things we know or learn or even by our love for that person, it has to be God. Yep. And he has to get the glory has to be, yeah. And that's what we want, right? I mean, that's, that's our goal, is that, I mean, otherwise, hopefully we're not doing it so that we can get the glory, right? Otherwise, we're, we're wasting our time. Our hearts aren't right. So, but again, that goes back to having the passion for people to have their souls saved, right? If we have a true passion, a desire for that, then our intentions are going to be right. And uh, we want to give God the glory. And... It is by his power and the power of his word that convicts men's hearts, not us. So I don't care how good you talk or how bad you talk. Was it Moses that wasn't even comfortable enough going to Pharaoh because he didn't talk good, you know? So don't, let's not let excuses get in our way, right? Let's have the knowledge of God's word and know how to present it with love and, and give God the glory whether they obey or whether they don't obey. Jesus walked away from people, right? So... We're going to face some hard encounters, but let's be bold enough to do it. So that's what we want to build up is in, in, within us is that ability, that strength to be able to do it, confidence in God's word to be able to stand before people with love. So thank you, Janice. Any other thoughts or comments? I did want to add one thing. So when Peter and Paul gave this direction about uh, believe, repent, be baptized, the only reason that they were doing that is found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It's Jesus speaking the very last part of the book, and he says, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, speaking to those disciples who were the authority to go initiate the church and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things. Whatsoever I have commanded you, <clears throat> and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So the authority for baptism, the command for baptism, the reason Peter and Paul and James and others did this was because Jesus told them to do it. And notice that they did this in response to teaching, in response to a response to that teaching, and when they felt that urge to repent, which just means change your mind about how you're going to live. The natural thing was, you've done these things now, you will take the mark of Christ, you baptism, you'll be baptized in the church, and that's when you become part of that body. But the authority comes from Christ, and sometimes that's what you have to remind people is, you can't pick one little verse where somebody's focused on, like Dane was saying, one one person at one stage of the journey, the entire journey is commanded clearly by Christ. And baptism is necessary. You never fully enter into the covenant without it. And if you think about it, the good news, if Satan's trying to thwart our efforts to go out and spread the good news, 
what better way to do it than to stop people halfway through the journey and tell them they're already there? Because they've traveled a distance, it does look better, it feels better. Yeah. They're getting closer to the oasis as they leave the desert, but then you stop them before they actually arrive. And someday the party is happening, the wedding feast is going on, but it's further down the road. Mm. And they never got there because they got stopped because they were deceived. And see, that should be the motivation to really have that hard conversation with people because this will be, as a member of the Church of Christ, the hardest argument you have is that faith versus works argument. Baptism. Uh, you know, in John it says, if you believe you will be saved and they want to stop there and they'll take the entire gospel into yeah. play and they'll respond to the commandment. And we have to be willing to say, I love you too much to let you get that far and stop. You're not going to necessarily like what I have to say, but I'm only telling you because I want your company when I get there. Um, mm -hmm. And it all started with Jesus. Take it back to Jesus would be my, my piece of advice. Don't focus on just what his disciples say. Focus on where they got their authority from. Mm -hmm. That's called the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Yeah. That was what they were tasked to do and to teach. I mean, and what we're tasked. That's exactly right. It hasn't changed. So... Uh, that's good. I, I really appreciated that. Uh, you know, the book of John I've heard used several, several times. You look at it's the it's the book that's mentioned about believing more than any other book in the Bible. You got to look at the context of that too. That he's trying to get the Jews to believe that Jesus came as the Messiah. Okay, any other conversation would have been pointless. The goal was belief belief. So yeah, John talked about believing in Jesus, right? The world wants to, when they say that you repent, you know, you die to your sins, and you're saved. You believe you're saved. And then, but a lot of times they'll say, then you get baptized, right? As an outward show or whatever. So what they do is they completely change the process that God put in place that Caleb mentioned about, the death, burial, and the resurrection, and they say, you die, you're resurrected, then you get buried. Right? That process in and of itself doesn't make sense according to Scripture. We, we'll get into this more in detail. Uh, we'll get into the works thing in more detail because that's one of the most difficult ones to deal with if you're not studied up. There is some really good stuff for that in, in God's Word that answers that, not just my think-sos. Well, I want to get into that one. Uh, I was going to let, I was, we were going to talk about a question tonight that uh, you might hear, and then we'll, but uh, we didn't get into it. So thank you anyways for your, your attention and sticking with me long. I could, I love this, I enjoy it, so uh, sorry if it went too long, but hopefully you got something out of it. Huh? I said I would love for this to just go on for four more hours. I mean, it's hard to know where to stop, you know, Clint gets up here and then just pours coals on my fire, you know, like, let's stoke it, man. I'm like, dang, you can't just sit down now. Let's, let's do this. But we'll save some for another time. Yeah. Thank you all. Any thoughts? Any more closing thoughts? Or? When? When's the next one? Uh, we'll, we'll put it on that calendar that we put out. Yeah, I'll put it on the calendar. Oh, yeah. All the time. All you have to do is just ask him in your heart. Yeah. 
lot. Yeah. And it's uh, frustrating to hear the personal truth that the past is the Yeah. And, uh, I love Acts that to uh, the verse before they said, "What must we do to be saved?" It says that they were pricked in their mm-hmm. hearts. You know, I love getting to that point. And I was thinking on these. Examples, you know, you've got uh, Paul and, and um, you know, the Philippian jailer. They had these big events. God appeared to them, or, or the earthquake and the jail cells open. You know, that it's easy to believe when something like that happens. But yeah. we today don't typically have that happen. Um, and so you can see how easy it was for them to believe. And a lot of times, belief is.
receive your son, but Lord, we have done that. And you have promised that if we ask for knowledge and wisdom, and if we seek to serve you with all our hearts, that you are just and you will give us that wisdom. And we've experienced that tonight. Lord, you're so gracious and good. We thank you for it. Now we pray that you would hone this knowledge, that you would place it deep within our hearts, so that we could recite these verses of Scripture from memory, that we would have our answers and the defense for your word, otherwise known as apologetics, that we would have those answers ready, that we would study to show ourselves approved masters of our craft, as it were, and that you would bring souls before us that we can joyfully participate in saving because we know, Lord, that you bless us with so much in this life materially that we'll stay here when we're gone. It's yours, it will remain yours, and you'll give it to somebody else when we're gone. But, Lord, the one thing we can take to heaven is the treasure of knowing that there are other souls that we can have a part in bringing to you, Lord, and we're so grateful for that. That's what this night has been about. We pray that you would impress this on the hearts of our young people, Lord, and still in these children, in all of us really, but especially in our children, a fervent, burning desire to share your gospel with others and see people reach and see that life which is you, the life that is you. Lord, if we don't have a passion for it, for this, if we're impatient studying it, if we're not fully invested in being here for however long it takes to grasp your word, Lord, work on softening our hearts, we beg you. Let us earnestly desire you and then go forth in the world and fulfill that great commission. These things we pray in Christ's blessed and holy name. Amen. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71, Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.